My name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, this is the last week of this uh, series that we've called Prodigal. And uh, we've been walking through this uh, story that Jesus tells in, uh, in Luke's gospel for a few weeks now. Um, and so as we wrap up, I want to just give you guys, remind you guys a little bit of the context of, of what we've been doing, where we've been journeying, what we've been journeying through. So first of all, uh, it's just in a real beginning sort of idea, like we, we say this is uh, from Luke's gospel. Gospel is this word that means good news. Uh, and, and it is literally just that. It's also, however, in the Bible, it's also a form of like, it's a genre of writing. So we have four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're four, I just call them good news stories. They are literally the portrayal of, of Jesus as the good news by a guy named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so in those things, we just hear stories of why Jesus and how Jesus is good news for the world, both 2,000 years ago and I believe also today. So one of the things that Jesus is always getting in trouble for is having dinner and meals with the wrong kind of people. Um, to have a meal with somebody in the first century and even, even nowadays in the Middle East is to declare something about your relationship with that person. So if you have a meal with somebody in this culture, in Jesus's culture, it is essentially saying like, we are friends. I'm in relationship with you. You're okay. I accept you, right? It's a very powerful statement. And the problem is, is that Jesus is having meals, uh, which is saying things about people who are incredibly disreputable and scandalous to the religious leaders. So there are people who are just like, like, they just don't look like they belong in church, nor do they even look like they want to be in church. That's kind of our, our terms for it. And Jesus is always just sitting down with people who are just really fringe, really outsider people, people who are despised by their culture. And so, you know, because religious leaders are the same 2,000 years ago as they are today, they start like, Jesus, you need to explain yourself. Why are you sitting down with people who, who don't look like they belong in church and don't even look like they want to be in church? Like, it's not like they're, they're kind of tr even trying to clean their act up. Their life is a mess and we know it. And yet Jesus... You're a respected spiritual leader. So why are you hanging out with these people who obviously, obviously don't belong as a part of God's plan? And so Jesus, uh, in Luke 15, he essentially says, okay, like we're gonna talk about this. And then he tells a story. And it's one story with, with three parts. And when he does that, he's essentially saying, I, I do this thing. I sit and I have meals with people because of who God is. Like I have to do this, Jesus is saying, because of this is the way God is, so this is the way I am. And so we looked at these stories over the past few weeks and the first story, if you guys remember, is the story of, uh, he just says, listen, there's a shepherd and he's lost one of his 100 sheep. And he goes and he finds a sheep and he picks a sheep up and he brings it home. And then he celebrates. And then he says, oh, there's also a story, there's a woman who she's lost a coin, one of 10 coins that she has, and she searches her house with, with a light, and then she finds the coin, and then she celebrates. And then the third story, which is the longest of the three, uh, he says, listen, there's a man, and the man had two sons, and one of the sons runs away and squanders his inheritance. He, he asks his father before he goes, hey, listen, dad, I kind of wish you were dead. 
give me the money that you're gonna give to me when you die. And then he takes that money and he, he loses it all. And then he comes home and, and his dad still kind of loves him. And then he's got another son who stays at home, but uh, has lost all the joy of what it means to be a son. And so he takes his father to task for accepting the younger son coming back. And, and his dad, um, you know, kind of uh, reminds him, you know, of who he is. And, and all the time, Jesus is saying, listen, this is, I do this thing because of the way God is. And this story illustrates the way God is. Um, and so we're going to just revisit uh, the, the, the longer story one last time. You know, this has been an interesting series for me because, um, you know, I, I study a lot. I, I read a lot. I'm very curious by nature. And, and, uh, and yet when we started to get into this series, I very quickly had the sense before we even started, I was like, man, this is going to be like four weeks of me saying the same thing over and over again. <laughs> like just, this is who God is. Like this is who he is. This is how much he loves you. And, and part of me was like, man, that is going to get like really boring uh, in, in, on the one hand. And, but I, I, I had the sense of like, you know, but this is just what we have to do. Because really, I, I would actually say that um, if you get this thing wrong, if you get God's love wrong, if you get wrong the way God looks at, at you and me and everybody, you get, you're going to get a lot of other things wrong. And maybe, maybe uh, what was also going on in my head and my heart, I was like, maybe there's just people who just need, their, they, they need to hear it. And they need to hear it again and again and again. This is, who, this is what God's like. This is who God is. This is the way he looks at people, right? And so four weeks, man, we've just been saying, this is kind of what God's like. And we've developed a list. So Jesus says, hey, uh, religious leaders, let me tell you what God is like. And uh, he says, listen, he's a searcher. If, if something's lost, if there's a sheep lost, if there's a coin lost, he's going to go. He's going to search for it and he's going to find it. And then he's going to bring the thing home and God is a partier. He celebrates. Now, if you guys remember, this was kind of the first, oh, this for me, this was the first aha moment. Because the text says um, uh, the, the, the shepherd finds a sheep brings it home and celebrates. And then the woman finds a coin and she picks it up and she celebrates. And a few weeks ago, we like posed the question, okay, like most of us, if you've been hanging around church, you're like, you have this image of like the sheep because uh, we're, not, we're not dumb, like we get the metaphor. Okay, but surely Jesus, like the sheep came down at an altar call and wept and was like, I'm such an awful sheep because I got lost. And that's when God celebrates, that's when the searcher celebrated. Or, or like the coin, you know, like the coin gets found by the woman and the coin breaks down in tears. Like, I know, I was so awful. I got lost. I shouldn't have gotten lost. This is, all these things are wrong with me. But the text doesn't say that. The text just say, when does God celebrate? He celebrates when he finds the sheep, when he finds the coin, when, when it's brought to. There's no indication that the sheep has yet like had that weepy altar call and decided, I'll never do that thing again. Or the coin that said, I'll, I'll never jump out of the purse again, I promise. For me, that was the first like, whoa, like what are we dealing with here? It's easy for me to think that God like celebrates when, when someone turns their life around. But the text just says God just celebrates 
when he finds you, when he finds me. So, um, and, the, and the sons are the same way. If you guys remember, when we looked at the younger son, he asked his father, Father, give me my inheritance. It's like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And then he, he goes off and it says he loses all the money. And he decides to come back home. Anybody remember why does he decide to come back home? Because he's hungry. Has he had the, the weepy, oh, I'm so awful. I wish my dad was dead. I had this awful thing go on. No, he's like, I'm hungry. I bet my dad will hire me so I can get some food. And he comes back home. And before the younger son can even give his speech, the father runs out to him and embraces him. That's the type of God he, he is. He goes out to the younger son. And then the older son starts to kind of uh, like give his dad a little bit what for because he's been so loving with the younger son. And if you guys remember, uh, this is all amplified when we think about the context. You know, we talked about how in the, the, the tale of the two sons, uh, there is a, a, a calf that gets slaughtered. There are fields. And, and what I suggested to you is that you have to suspend. You can't look at this with North American eyes. You can't sit there and go, oh, they're on a farm. The farm is surrounded by this, all these fields. It's an isolated farm. No, no, it's the first century. It's the Middle East. And in that culture, uh, everybody, uh, if you farmed, which most people did, your fields were somewhere else. And you lived in a village and your neighbors were like this close to you. So everything that goes down with this, with this father and his sons, guess what? You knew their business. You heard that younger son wish his dad was dead. You're like, oh, did you hear what just went on? <laughs> so how deep is the father's humiliation and insult when his neighbors just heard his younger son say, oh, dad, I wish you were dead. And then the older son, when he decides to uh, kind of give his dad a little bit of what for, that's the same thing. And uh, that dad would have been within his rights and acceptable in the culture to give both those boys a thrashing because you do not insult the father of a house. And when his dad says, listen, dad, like you, I can't believe you're treating that, young, that, that son of yours that way. That happens in the context of that community too. That whole community is like, oh man, that family is messed up. But he goes out. This is what God is like. And so uh, where we've kind of come to is, is we've looked at these stories now. And, and like I said, we're just saying the same thing over and over again. But I gotta be honest, there's like one little aspect of this I've been holding back. Uh, and it's because I... I I just wanted to have the opportunity to really highlight another level of what Jesus is saying uh, in the story. Um, and I'll say it this way. I'll, I'll say it by way of looking at just one verse in this story of the two sons. Uh, Luke 15, verse 20 uh, we've already kind of heard the story. The son is on his way back home. And, and verse 20 says that while he, that's the, the son, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. Okay, at this point, like listen, Jesus as he's talking to the Pharisees and the legal experts. There's no problem with Jesus's interpretation and his story. Jew, Jews of the first century, even now, they understand God as father. That's not 
That's not an odd metaphor. They're like, yes, okay. And they knew God was compassion. But when they got to this next phrase, this is when the eyebrows would have raised. It says, his father ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. And this is the moment when the Pharisees and the scribes would have gone, whoa, Jesus. Like, you better explain yourself. And I'll say it this way, just as very succinctly uh, to the point as possible. Men in the first century, fathers in the first century, did not run. You didn't. It was considered embarrassing and humiliating and demeaning. You walked. You never ran. And you especially didn't run after a son that told you he wished you were dead and turned his back on everything that you stood for and ever gave him. So when they see that, they're like, all right, wait a minute, Jesus. The image of God is running? The image of God, I can take the image of God as a father, but listen, oh, running, and how close are his neighbors? And if men don't run in the first century, and the image of this father who sees his son and then just takes off. What would have gone off in their head is the thought of all these neighbors going, I'm so embarrassed. It would have been so awkward. Like, you don't look at that. You don't look at the father running. It's embarrassing. He's, he's, he's demeaning himself. And yet, Jesus says, you want to know what God's like? Not only does he go out to the son, not only does he go out to both sons, not only does he endure the humiliation of, of being rejected, in the face of his community, he's like, God's not above humiliating himself to go get and greet the child that's coming home. Well, wrap your heads around that for a second. Like God is the, the metaphor, God is the father. We're talking about the creator of the universe. And, and this is part of my story. Like, I understand God, I followed God, I've walked with him alongside him for a pretty long time now. But I think there's always a piece of me that like understands that like God, yes, I get it. But God, God's God and somehow he's distant. He's like separate. You know, he's, he's far off. And he's, you know, like he's God. Like he, certainly God has some dignity, yes. Carries himself like a, like a, a good deity should. And sometimes, and even like when I, when I mess up and I come back and I was like, oh, God, I'm really sorry. And he'd be like, yes, I, yes, I still love you. Bless you, my son. <laughs> and there's sort of a, an idea that like, yes, he loves me and, and, and he's okay with me. But Jesus goes way beyond that. He's like, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. Like this, this God is not a God who, who is stern and, and immovable. This God is a God who's like, I will embarrass myself. I will humiliate myself. Look at me. Laugh at me. I don't care because I'm going to go get my child. This is a God who runs. He runs. And so we look at that this is the thing that, the, that, the, that uh, the Pharisees and the legal experts would have been, okay, you just lost me. But over and over again, we're told in the scriptures, like, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm only doing what I'm doing because this is who God is. 
I'm going after people. And, and by the way, if you want to say I'm embarrassing myself by eating with off-color people, too bad. Because this is the way God is. So if God does it, I do it. Now, um, there is still one other thing that I think that, that this verse uh, really does. And, and is the idea of like, I want to kind of push a little bit deeper onto what is the running about? What is, what's going on in this, in this instant where, where he takes off uh, after the younger son? Um, so I'll say it this way, like, you know, um, if you spend any time doing you know, public things, you know, speaking, talking, or playing music, um, you are going to come up with a list of embarrassing things. Like, we do our best, but like sometimes like the, 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 the thoughts get a little scrambled and something comes out of our mouth that we didn't intend to and you guys go, ha, 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 ha. And, and, and it's, we have embarrassing moments. I told people like, listen, you guys don't know how many times when I used to lead music, you guys have no idea how many times I burped like in the middle of the line of a worship song. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, you just don't do anything like this without having embarrassing moments. And most of the time, like, listen, we just hope, oh my gosh, hope nobody notices and you just go on with, with life, right? And we all probably have those moments. We have the moments in our lives, you know, if we were sit down and talk, like, tell me like some of the most embarrassing moments that you've had. Um, I had one, you know, and it's pretty typical, but still, uh, I was in college and I was visiting a friend's dorm and uh, I was on my way back to my dorm and I like really had to go to the bathroom. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then I had the realization, I'm not going to make it back to my dorm room. Student union is in between, you know, their place and my place. So I'm like, man, I'm just going to, you know, bounce in the student union. And so I go in, man, I got a beeline to the restroom, man. And I just like burst through the doors. And like, so I'm a pretty observant person, but, but the meaning of what I'm observing, sometimes it takes a little while. So I remember literally walking through and, and going like, man, that's weird. I, I, I thought there were urinals in this bathroom. Let's see. So I'm like, go in the stall, you know, and I'm just, you know, getting, taking, taking care of business. And all of a sudden, like the brain's catching up. And I'm like, oh, no. And, you know, and, and I'm like 19 or 20. I don't remember exactly. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Now, so then, you know, so what the, then the mission is get out without being seen, right? And so, like, I just, you know, zip back out of there. And, you know, there was somebody walking down the hall. But I just kept straight face, just walked on, right? And uh, we all have, have those moments. And, and I was thinking about this, like, just these moments of embarrassment, right? And, and uh, some of the strategies for dealing with those, like, you know, a lot of these things, we just laugh them off, you know? And you come home and you're, you get with your friends and then, you know, they, they, they talk to you about, hey, you're okay. That's kind of, everybody does it and, and it happens. Or, or sometimes, like, you just, you pretend like nothing's happened or sometimes um, you hope that, Somehow somebody noticed something else instead of your big mess up. And uh, that sets the stage for kind of like what, um, what I think God was also doing and what it says about him. And I want to just kind of set this up by, uh, I'm going to show you guys a video. This is, this is the, uh, the world's best pickpocket, which I'm not sure like where that contest gets held or how, who judges. But... Um, 
this is a TED talk, and uh, this guy is just talking about how he does what he does. And so just watch this for, for just a minute. Let's do this simply. Squeeze your hand. Squeeze it tight. Do you feel the poker chip in your hand? Would you be surprised if I could take it out of your hand? Say yes? Good. Open your hand. Thank you very much. I'll cheat if you give me a chance. <laughs> Make it harder for me. Just use your hand. Grab my wrist, but squeeze. Squeeze firm. Did you see it go? No. No, it's not here. Open your hand. See, while we're focused on the hand, it's sitting on your shoulder right now. Go ahead and take it off. Now, let's try that again. Hold your hand out flat. Open it up all the way. Put your hand up a little bit higher, but watch it close there, Joe. See, if I did it slowly, it'd be back on your shoulder. Joe, we're going to keep doing this till you catch it. You're going to get it eventually. I have faith in you. Squeeze firm. Squeeze. You're human. You're not slow. It's back on your shoulder. You're focused on your hand. That's why you were distracted. While you were watching this, I couldn't quite get your watch off. It was difficult. Yeah. Yet you had something inside your front pocket. Do you remember what it was? Money. Check your pocket. See if it's still there. Is it still there? <laughs> oh, that's where it was. Go ahead and put it away. We're just shopping. This trick's more about the timing, really. I'm going to try to push it inside your hand. Put your other hand on top for me, would you? It's amazingly obvious now, isn't it? It looks a lot like the watch I was wearing, doesn't it? That's pretty good. All right. It's all misdirection. Like, I went back and watched the video, and you can see him. There's no, like, magic. There's, no, there's not even two coins. Like, you can see him take the coin and, and put it on the guy's shoulder. You can see it all happen, Okay. But like what he's doing is, is it's all like, I want you to pay attention over here because I don't want you to see what's going on over here. There's a great movie that uh, my family loves called The Prestige uh, starring Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. It's about these two um, magicians back, I think, in the um, 19th century. And there's this brilliant monologue that Michael Caine gives. And he talks about, listen, whenever a magi magician says, watch this hand, you can, you can bet that what is really happening is somewhere over here. And, and basically the idea of like, listen, I want you to focus on this thing because I don't want you to see what's going on over here. Um, great caper movies, you know, Oceans 11, 12, 13, whatever number they're on now. Um, the Italian job, they're almost all predicated on like, listen, we need, to, we need to get this person to pay attention to something over here because we don't want them to see what's going on over here. So what's that have to do with our story? Well, um, you guys remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the younger son. We talked about how there was this, uh, this rabbinical text in the first century that says, listen, what you can never do, ever do, is to lose your money to the Gentiles. Lose your money to the pagans. Don't ever become impoverished to the Gentiles. Like, if you do that, it's just like rejecting everything of who you are. You've now given them power over you, right? And, um, and so the story is, unfortunately, that's exactly what the younger son does. He gets his inheritance from his dad. He goes to a far-off country, the text says, that could only be the Gentiles. And he loses all of his money to the Gentiles, to the pagans. You guys remember a little, little test for you? Do you remember that there was a ritual, a ceremony that would happen if that ever happened to you, if you ever lost your money and you came back home, do you remember what the name of it was? The Kazaza ritual, the Kazaza ceremony, right? So the idea being, if you ever did this, if you lost your money 
to the Gentiles, your community, and keep in mind the communities here are small, probably not like this room would be a, a pretty decent sized town in Jesus' day. And how close are my neighbors? Right there. And so uh, if they ever saw you come back and they knew you had squandered your money to, and, and, and surrendered it to the pagans, they would get a clay jar. You guys remember I said they would burn uh, corn. They would burn nuts. It would be just this, this nasty, charcoaly black, you know, confection. Uh, and they would see you coming and they would run up to you and they would smash it at your feet. And they would say, Margaret Rose, you are cut off from your people. You are cut off. <laughs> how bad do you think that hurts? How bad, how, how devastating do you think that is to somebody, a community like this? And you are cut off because you have wasted and squandered your money to the pagans, right? Now, let's go back to the story. So the father's sitting there. And he sees his young son coming. And he sees him probably, you know, he's not wearing good clothes. What? He was feeding the pigs. He was, he was at his end. So the dad knows instantly what happened. He lost his money. He lost his money to who? The, the Gentiles. And so the father knows what's going to happen when that boy gets close. What are these neighbors going to do to my son? What are they going to do? They're going to run out. They're going to break the thing in front of them and they're going to scream at him. You are cut off from your people. Now, I've had embarrassing moments. Shame is like embarrassment times a million. Shame is, is the thing that you can't laugh off anymore. Shame is the thing that's like, yeah, I didn't just make a mistake walking into the women's restroom. Shame is the voice that says, and you're an idiot, and you've always been an idiot, and you always will be an idiot. And you know, how I sell, you know why I say that to you? Because I want to tell you guys, I'm just like you, and I have struggled against shame my entire life. Shame is the voice that's, that's way underneath embarrassment. And it's not just the things that you've done that have been mistakes, it is. And Eric, you're... You're despicable. Eric, you're, you're not a good person. And every time, you know, I get in a, a situation where I stumble or I just do something, guys, that voice is right there to whisper to me. And I want to say that probably it's not just me in this room. What do I do with that shame? And, and, and how do you combat it? And the voice, it's always there. It's always there. It's always there, just waiting, just waiting, just waiting, just waiting. You know? And the dad sees his son coming, his child, and he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen when he gets close. So what does the dad do? It's misdirection. It's misdirection. He says, you know what? If I humiliate myself, they won't humiliate him. He says, I will embarrass myself. If I start running and all the people go, oh my gosh, look at that. Look at how awful he is. Look at how ridiculous he is. You know what? It's okay because they won't do it to my child. He takes it all. 
in a glorious misdirection. Look at me because I don't want you to look at this returning child. Hebrews 12, uh, the author says that Jesus endured the cross and he ignored the what? He ignored the shame for the joy set before him. And make no mistakes, the, the, the cross wasn't just the most painful way you could be executed in the Roman world. It was also one of the most, if not the most humiliating ways you could be killed. A lot, some crosses were 14 feet high, but most of them were about eight feet high. And there wasn't like you, you, you there wasn't like this, you know, this barrier between the, the crowd and the crosses. Like you could be like right here. And, uh, and Jesus, most people were crucified. So I, I, I probably believe that Jesus had just as much of a chance of, of being crucified naked because that's the way they crucified you. Why? Because it was humiliating. It was humiliating. And so just the, the gospels say that everyone just looked at Jesus and mocked him and just yelled at him. Ah, oh, you see, you can't even do anything. And what I've come to realize is that the cross is a glorious misdirection because the cross is God saying, I can take the shame. Humiliate me. Humiliate me because I can take it. Because if you, take, if you humiliate me, Jesus is saying, you won't humiliate my child. If you look at me and point and go, that is so embarrassing. Then guess what? There's nobody to accuse you or to accuse me or to accuse you. Because God did it. Now, do I have to battle against those voices? Oh, yeah. The closer I stay to the cross... The more I turn my eyes back to it, the more I remember, no, there was a man who willfully, intentionally went to that place and was tortured and brutally executed because of his love for the world and for me. When I can keep my eyes fixed on that, guess what? That voice of shame gets a little bit quiet. Because it can whisper all at once, Eric, you're such a screw-up. And I go, yeah, but my dad, I was worth my dad being humiliated for. I was worth this, my, my, this man, Jesus. He did it. I, I must be worth something. And that's the God that we follow. This is the God that, that has captured my heart. He's not just a searcher, a finder. He doesn't just celebrate. He doesn't just go out. He doesn't just run after me. He says, listen, humiliate me all you want. But my children, uh-uh-uh. You can't touch them because I've taken care of it. I've taken care of it. This is the thing that I just want from the deepest part of my being, I want you guys to know this. I want, I, I think this is what Jesus want, wanted you to know. 
This God is not far off from you. He's not stern. He is not somehow just, all right, just show up and, and you know, get your life on track and be better. This God just says, no, 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 no. Let's just, let me just come after you. Just let me just humiliate myself. Anything to bring you home. Anything for me to be with you. Anything for me to just show how much I love you, how much you mean to me. That's If you get this right, guys, it will change your life forever. Get this right. I think that some of us, um, I, I think some of us have just never accepted the fact that God loves us that much. There's nothing to be embarrassed about a God that loves you this much. He did this for love, not, not to shame you. For some of us, uh, we need to remember it. Because if we don't, those voices will start to wreak havoc. And we will start looking for significance and love somewhere else that, that will not won't get it. Some of us need to remember that this is the source of the things we do. We don't do ministry to earn God's love. We, we do it because God, God loved us so much that we're free. And the last thing I'll say to you is that when, when Jesus starts telling these stories, remember, we say parables are meant for you to find your place in the story. And you're going to find it in multiple places. Guys, we need to become people who are like the Father. Right? It's not enough to just accept this love. Jesus is inviting the Pharisees and the legal experts and us to say, listen, you need to be like the Father because this is the way God is. And so being people of radical compassion who protect the people who come to us who are hurting and say, man, I'm not going to let you get beat up by this church. I'm going I'm to be your advocate. I'm going to be your protector because that's what this God did for us.